It's good to be with you this morning. Um, we're starting a new uh, topic in our How to Respond to uh, series. And so because a lot of the uh, items that were on, remember, on that checklist kind of all had to do with the same thing, which is the societal changes that we've seen, both uh, uh, people's uh, spirituality, people's philosophies about things, and then all the different mandates and different things that are going on, um, is I'm sort of putting them all together in one sort of clump. And, and so what we're going to be doing it with that is looking specifically at it through the lens of our conservative, biblical, Lutheran sort of way of seeing things. And so it's going to be primarily a theological discussion about it, but also obviously some practical stuff when it comes to how do we respond as Christians to these things that are now going on. I'm going to pass around a book. This is the book that I'm, I'm using, um, and it actually was referenced in the most recent issue of the Lutheran Witness. So those of you that may have read that or might want to go back and read that, uh, has to do with uh, an ancient heresy called Gnosticism. And the author here is, this is a really uh, top shelf book. It's kind of heavy reading, but some of you might be into that. Um, and it, uh, it explains the, uh, the origins of a lot of that, what we're dealing with today and why it feels in our Lutheran uh, cr Christian gut. Why does it feel so wrong? Why does it feel like it steers people away from God instead of serving people in a godly way? It's because of the fact that it's linked to uh, an ancient heresy called Gnosticism. So we're going to spend a little time today talking about that, and that's going to form kind of the basis. But I want to pass this around just so you can take a look at it. Um, and it's, uh, it's written again by a, a Lutheran pastor who's also a chaplain, who's also a campus guy. So there's a lot of uh, interaction that he already has with, uh, with that community. But, but if you'd almost have to not be aware of anything going on in the world around you to realize how much this has infiltrated um, the schools and the medical systems and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, we're going to take a look at it. And uh, won't be the last word on it, I'm sure but it'll be a good word and it will give us a sense of how do we respond to that? What do we do with that? The other thing is, remember when I passed this, uh, this around the other day and I, I wanted you to, to vote on? Well, guess what? I gave you the wrong information on it. <laughs> so I felt, I felt totally guilty about it. I thought, oh, I'm going to correct that. So Austin, which one is it that is the, what, the real human face? It's this one right here, that top left is the right human face. Oh, yeah, sure, okay, here we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you lucked out, you lucked out, because you cannot tell. You guessed on that one is all you did, because you can't tell. And when we were discussing the, the challenges of uh, artificial intelligence and what they're doing now in terms of the ability to create not just a face, but they can create. If any of you wants a new body, this is the way to do it, is, is send in your face, and then they'll give you whatever kind of body you want. And so, you know, you will be more popular, I assure you. But anyway, um, that's, the, that's the thing. So I, I just, now my conscience is clear. Yes, I can sleep at night now. Oh, good, I feel better. All right. So uh, so anyway, we're going to talk today about how to respond to critical theory, 
DEI, gender issues, all, all that stuff. I'm kind of lumping all that together. So I'm going to start the book way over here. And those of you that look at it have to assure the rest of the group that you can't hoard it and that it ends up over there. But I want the book back. So that's the, uh, that's the only thing. Here you go, Mike. Take a look at it. All right. Okay, shall we get into it? All right, let's do that. Opening discussion. Many people today feel like they are suffering from a form of Rip Van Winkle syndrome. Anybody know who that is? Okay, good. It occurred to me that maybe only a certain segment of us would even know what that is, right? They feel as if they went to sleep at night, and when they woke up the next morning, the world was different, and they were unprepared for the change. All of a sudden, it seemed every traditionally believed tenet of society and religion was not only being questioned, it was being rejected. This rejection was being promoted not only by fringe intellectual groups and radical thinkers, but it was showing up in medical schools associations, the American Bar Association, private and public schools, men's and women's college and pro sports, and even in the Christian church at large. It seemed overnight that under the umbrella of the pursuit of equality, all traditionally accepted authority, that is teachers, police, pastors, doctors, etc., were being guilty of bigotry, phobic attitudes, oppressive activities, systemic racism, and as such should be canceled. How are Christians to respond in the face of such provocation? Is there a way to understand what's going on from a scriptural theological point of view which would directly affect our relational response? This study will attempt to do that. So is there any disagreement from you or that in terms of kind of the observation there? Or is this something that you would say, yeah, we're kind of seeing this? Yes, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, two of you, okay, right, all right. All right, so what I want to do is, uh, the rest of you are silently agreeing with me, I know, yeah, turtles. Okay, so what I want to do is, let's go to page two, because I want to go to the diagram, and then we'll come back to one and talk about the tenets of, uh, of Gnosticism. So kind of what I've done is try to illustrate that, Gnosticism is a philosophy. It's also a religion that actually had it has its had its roots back in the early church. So, if you've read First um, Corinthians 15, for example, where Saint Paul is going on and on about the resurrection of the body, and he's you know Jesus's resurrection, resurrection of the body. Why does he spend almost a chapter and a half talking about it? It's not only because it matters. It's also because Gnosticism had made its way into the early Christian church, and then at that time they were denying the resurrection of the body. And we'll, we'll talk about why that is. And so Paul's saying, hey, if you, if you deny the resurrection of the body, then you're saying also that Jesus didn't rise from the grave on Easter, and if he didn't rise on the grave from Easter, we have no Savior. So it was that critical and that important. But Gnosticism had made its way. It was an intellectual sort of thing. Um, where people were saying, well, you know, we're going to allow the, the, the uh, secular teachings and philosophies of Plato and Aristotle were, because those make, make way more sense than do the teachings of Jesus. And so they, they incorporated that into their so-called Christianity, but in doing that, then it destroyed the essence of Christianity. So, so what I did then with the uh, diagram on the board 
is basically kind of say that you know Gnosticism is here, and then there's all these other things that we're experiencing today that are coming from that. The question that we have to ask is, what is it that today would have made Gnosticism so attractive? And even though if, you're, if you read through the news or if you read through uh, textbooks today, you're not going to find the word Gnosticism. What you're going to find is, is that the offshoots of Gnosticism have made their way into society and then into the way people are being educated today even at the highest levels, and now we're seeing it in K through 8 and younger, okay? So it's something for us to be aware of. I don't think that we should be afraid of it, but we certainly need to be wary of it. And I don't think we ever should run from it. In fact, I think we have to go headlong into it, but we have to do it in an informed way, and we have to do it in some sense of it a stealth way, at least I do. And so I would encourage you to think in terms of, okay, what would I do if I'm, I encounter this? Either I work in a school system, maybe I'm an attorney, maybe I'm a doctor, maybe I am somebody whose uh, 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 ethical system that guides what you do and in some way controls what you do says you have to see things a certain way, you have to embrace things a certain way. What are you going to do when you encounter that? And that's the whole point of what we're trying to get at here um, and, and deal with the fact that many of us are on the front lines. And if you're on the front lines, you do have to have a strategy in terms of how you're going to respond, right? And then you sort of end up having to decide what happens if you respond in such a way and somebody says, well, then you can't keep your license. And these are the realities that a lot of frontline people today are dealing with. Okay? Yeah, awesome. I uh, saw an article about how someone was being sent a survey, a pronoun survey. Yeah, pronoun survey. To engineers. To engineers of all people. And they decried a rise of fascism because of the amount of snarky responses. And as an engineer, I totally understand what happened. Because that is why I'm an engineer. <laughs> okay. So you're saying that even in the engineering world... In, in engineering, it's sort of rejecting that, but it just shows how prevalent it is yeah. in, like, intellectualism, <clears throat> higher, like, right. academics. Oh, there are some places where it has rejected, like mm -hmm. engineering. Sure. Although there's probably more, like, atheism mm -hmm. and that. Right. Entirely different. There might be. So again, see, uh, I'm not going to try to argue this from the point of view of whether it's good or bad for society in America and the world. I'm going to look at it from the point of view of this, of it being good or bad for your for your soul. Because at the end of the day, how, what what's going to become of your soul? Okay, and and that's the thing that I would say matters more than anything else. Okay. Now, again, there, others might disagree and say, no, 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 what happens naturally is more important. I, I would argue that it is important what happens naturally, but it doesn't come close to being the importance of what happens here, okay? So, again, that's kind of where I'm going to always lean back into, right? But I, I just think it's getting harder and harder for professional people in all walks of life, engineers being one of them, people that are studying to be engineers, have to now meet certain criteria 
and you have to embrace certain things. And what people are learning to do, and it and it's kind of makes sense, they're learning to not speak up. Because if you speak up, they'll say, you're no longer a good candidate for this program. And you may have spent um, four years of undergrad and another two or three years of uh, a postgraduate work getting ready to be whatever it is that you've been studying to be. And someone makes a decision by saying, you're no longer a good candidate for this program, not because of what you know, not because of your expertise, but because you refuse to embrace the standard of care. You'll hear that, that phrase a lot, standard of care. The standard of care is not based on science. It's not based on biology. It's based on the current wind, the current wind, the current wind, okay? And so we want to look at that from a, again, from an informed perspective, but also from the perspective of how do you respond in such a way that uh, if you have to dance that line, which teachers do, teachers have to dance that line, counselors have to dance that line. When I'm preaching, I don't have to dance that line, okay? But when what we preach goes out on the internet, then you wonder, will that meet somebody's community standards or will they exit? That'd be interesting. We'll see. So, okay, so Nazism is the, is the core. But we want to talk about what it is that, uh, that fuels that. So how many of you have uh, encountered people who feel very cynical and despairing about their lives today? Can you encounter that? Some of us may even feel a little bit of that, all right? But, but what fuels the idea or the attraction of, uh, of Gnosticism is a philosophy, actually, that's called nihilism. You ever heard of nihilism? Anybody know what nihilism is? Have you heard it before? Yeah? It's, a, it's actually a philosophy. And what nihilism teaches is the idea, and it feeds on the, the notion that when people are cynical about their lives and they're looking around and they're saying that the way life is today for me isn't working for me. Now that we are hearing. For example, when you hear recent graduates from college say that capitalism is not working for me because I am loaded up with debt coming out of school and I go and I work in a job with, with in getting paid wages that I will never catch up, right? I mean, you can kind of see where that would make sense that somebody would say, then we got to get rid of capitalism because capitalism is the thing that we've all lived with. And oh, yes, it's been good for you boomers. It's been okay for the Gen Xers. Hadn't worked out so well for the millennials. And it's terrible for the Gen Zs. And the alphas that are coming after the Gen Zs are saying, well, what the heck? It doesn't matter. The world's going to end in seven years anyway because of climate change, right? And so there's this, there's this fatalistic view. Oh, I don't even know what's going to happen when the eclipse happens, right? <laughs> there might be some people that think it's going to stay that way forever. You better assure people that it's only going to last, what, how long? The part of workshop is how to dig a bunker. <laughs> oh, Armin, you cracked me up. Okay. Hey, sign me up. I want, I, I think I have room under my deck in the backyard. I think I probably could do a bunker. Um, but do you see what I'm saying? Is that, that when, when, when you feel, or you've been told and then you feel, 
that the way things have always been aren't cutting it anymore, right? Aren't you going to want to change? Aren't you going to want things to be different? Aren't you going to say, hey, that worked for all you guys, but that is not working for us. We need a change. And, the, and, and there are voices out there who are coming in saying, and we've got just a change for you. Now, are there some problems with capitalism? Oh, gosh, yeah. Any sort of economic system ends up kind of breaking down in terms of haves and haves not. It does that. It does do that, right? The Christian message is that all are equal in God's eyes. All are of uh, equal value. We talk about that, that a lot. Jesus loves everybody. You know, that whole kind of thing, right? But there is an anti-Christian message out there that is making its way into the way people are thinking about these things. And that's what we want to identify, and that's what we want to tackle and then respond to, okay? So what happens is when people are feeling cynical about life, they're despairing because uh, there's no other, no other way to turn. And by the way, if a person thinks that there's no other way to turn and they can't change the world, then their alternative is suicide. And so we're seeing that now Maybe we always have, but we're noticing it now, is the suicide rates among people that are under 17 have skyrocketed. People feel hopeless, right? And so what nihilism is, is a, is a fatalistic way of looking at life and saying, then all the traditions of whatever has held uh, the world in place, they need to go away. They're evil. They only support the rich or they only support certain races, white people in particular. They only support the people that have the power. And so nihilism says get rid of everything. And nihilism then is that which feeds Gnosticism because then Gnosticism says, well, then what we're going to do is we're going to incorporate that in our thinking and in our theology about things. So where Gnosticism came from, or at least where it fed off of, was the... Uh, the philosophies of Plato and Aristotle. The, these Greeks are uh, very smart, very intellectually brilliant people, right? There's a lot that we have gleaned from uh, Plato and, uh, and Aristotle. But, but the nature of Gnosticism was, and still is, is that it's a pluralistic religion. And what that means is, is that it looks out there in the world of religions and it says all of them are equal and have equal value. So it would look, for example, at... Christianity and the biblical aspect of Christianity where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How would a Gnostic look at that? How would the world today look at that? How, do, how does the world today look at that verse? That's not inclusive. And see, inclusivity now is the new rule by which we judge the merit of something. If it's inclusive, then, whoa, you mean you're saying that if somebody doesn't believe in Jesus as their Savior and Lord, they're not going to heaven? Yeah, that's what Jesus said. Well, then I reject that. I reject it. And we have a world teaching people that that is not worth, rege that is not worth accepting because what kind of God, what kind of loving God would do that to people? Send people to hell just because they didn't believe in his son? Now, you know, don't we puzzle over that? Gosh, yes. Doesn't that kind of bother you? Yes. Imagine what it's like to preach it while you're thinking to yourself, I don't like preaching this. Yeah. I had that explained to me one way that it was the kindest way to do it because if you told somebody to start a race, 
and you didn't tell them where the finish line was, that's not kind. They have no direction. They don't know how they're going to finish. They don't know where they're going. So that solution is very kind. We know how to do it. We know how to finish the Yeah, and I would sort of add to it that it is not a sprint. It's a marathon, right? It's a cross-country race. Have any of you ever re uh, uh, run cross-country? I was too chicken to do it. I didn't do it. And I'm not a sprinter. Max, cross country? Yeah, we ran it. In fact, two of the guys I ran with made the Olympics. Oh, in high school here, yeah. And you beat them, didn't you? No, yes. My <laughs> coach would always tell me, you're not working hard enough up walls. <laughs> <laughs> much better. They got bulgy bodies. Uh, nobody's got mitochondria. These guys have. Yeah, they get the whole thing. Yeah, they yeah. got the whole package. Sure. I didn't get. Yeah. But they made the Olympics when Carter was president on the, uh, on the Olympic marathons. Holy for Richardson High School, yeah. and they, uh, but you know, they didn't get to go and compete because that was the year we pulled out of the. Oh, that was terrible. That was terrible. Yeah, we did beat the Russians in the hockey though. That was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, I forgot where I was going with this. All right. I know when you get on a roll and then you get off the roll, you can't remember what the roll was. I mean, that was it. Yeah. So. Um, so not what so what Gnosticism says is is that everything is equal. The Bible is equal with the Quran, equal with writings of of uh, Hindu writings of whatever. And so then it's like, well, as a pluralistic uh, uh, philosophy, it says we absorb all things, even if they're contradictory. And so you you see that a lot in people that sort of buy into that idea, which is that inclusivity means that then we welcome all beliefs and we welcome all perspectives toward a person's soul and how you get to heaven, even people that don't believe. And what we would say is, okay, that's where people are at. This is where people today are at. And we're going to take the long-term view to it rather than thinking, oh my gosh, we have to hurry up and fix them because they might die and go to hell. That is not up to us. Our job is to do what? is to walk with people, be there for them, and do it over the long haul. And maybe somewhere along the line, we pray that God will open up that person's heart to be receptive as they watch us live hopeful lives in a world that's pretty hopeless, right? But we're living hopeful lives, and people see that and they go, how do you do that? What? How, how do you not just say, Psh, give up on it? Because we got a different level and a different source of hope when people see it they want to know and that's the opportunity over the long haul does that make sense and so this is just kind of again the approach that we're taking here uh with that that it, i know it's hard to not react to what we see every place around and for us to get into a despair mode that says what is the point right it's and, and what if it's your kids that feel this way? What if it's your grandkids that feel this way? What if it's them? It's hard to say, okay, this is over the long haul. This is where I'm going with this. Richard, you had your hand up earlier. Last week, you had your hand up last week. And I, I didn't call on you last week, and that's, it bothered me. So, yeah. I know I've been bothered by a lot of stuff this week, yeah. I'll just respond anyway. Okay, okay. respond anyway. I think it's incumbent that when we talk, mm -hmm. that we are positive, mm -hmm. 
and that we do things that are positive. And quite frankly, I ignore all that stuff. Okay, Good. I really do. That's awesome. I mean, it's not, it's not me. True. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll tell you, unfortunately, when you walk through church sometimes, you hear a lot of fearful people here, mm-hmm. and we need to get rid of the fear. You know what we're going to do instead of getting rid of it? We're going to walk right into it. Because when you're fearful, you can't get away from it. You ever try to escape fear? Sure. Drinking, sex, work, money. That's how people are trying to get rid of fear. Doesn't work. So we're going to walk into it. Right? Armed. Armed. We're going to walk into it with the armor of God. Right? That's how we're going to do it. So I, I know what you mean. And it's hard to not be impacted by. But if we try to escape it, you can't. Okay. Those are the rules of the game, right, Chris? So we're going to walk into it. Okay? All right. So that Gnosticism. So what we're going to do in the next few weeks, couple weeks, I guess, is look at how critical theory, so we, we talk about critical theory. So critical theory is the parent sort of umbrella of critical race theory, critical feminist theory, critical uh, queer theory, critical, uh, whatever, whatever's going on in terms of a specific area that we hear about. Critical race theory is the one that most people hear most about, but these other ones are fueling and teaching and uh, instructing and in some cases indoctrinating people to believe it a certain way, but it's based on what's critical theory. So we're going to talk about that. Woke uh, progressivism, you're aware of that, okay? That has to do with the racial angle, right? But a lot of the LGBT stuff that we're hearing about today, transgendered, et cetera, okay, is drawing on the woke progressivism. So it's no longer limited to uh, racial stuff, but now it includes uh, all these others as well. And then at the very top is what's called search for the true self. So a part of what's fueling the transgendered uh, uh, activity that people are having and the teaching and, and the laws now that are supporting it, at least in California, is that is the idea that your true self is trapped inside of the the body that you were given when you were born. So if I can say that, well, my true self is male, even though my body says I'm female, then what I'm going to do is pursue the true self. That comes right out of Gnosticism, which directly came right out of what uh, Plato and Aristotle taught. Okay? So see... All of these things that we think, oh my gosh, this is like brand new. The, what, what Ecclesiastes says, Solomon pointed it out. He said, what? There's nothing new under the sun. And if you've lived long enough, you know that, right, Bob? Yep. <laughs> but we all think that it's brand new because we either hadn't heard it before or we were like Rip Van Winkle, we were asleep, and then we woke up and it was different, right? Okay. All right, so... So the other thing I want to mention is, is at the bottom, is that with e- within each offshoot resides two kinds of people. Those whose intention is to deliberately mislead others away from biblical truth and redemption through Jesus Christ, and then those who are confused, despairing, vulnerable, and easily swayed by the pers- persuasive influence of the malicious teaching offering false hope. Do you understand the distinction there? There is a difference between people who know better and are doing it anyway, right? 
They know there is a God and they reject it. And now they're taking people with them. And then those people that are the ones taken, who in some ways are more affected by it than the others, right? They're influenced to go that direction. But it's like, it's like they don't, they're, they're uninformed in some way. Okay, so we are making that distinction between the two. All right, so let's go back to the first page and just some uh, basic facts here about Gnosticism. All right, where's the book at, by the way? Did it, has it made its way? Oh, is it kind of doing like this, like a serpentine kind of thing? Okay, very good. All right, yeah. Okay, so basic teachings is that uh, came from Plato. Aristotle was, they were contemporaries, okay? So Plato's teaching is dualism, which is that anything of the spirit and the mind is good, and anything of the body and matter is evil, intrinsically. That's what it teaches. So, for example, the first article of the, of the uh, uh, Apostles' Creed says what? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Gnostics would say not good. God is good, therefore God would not create evil and the world is evil, so we refute the idea that God is creator, right? Okay. Number two, God is spirit, or point B, God is spirit and free, is free and good. A person's body is a prison and evil. Salvation is escape from the body, achieved not through faith in Christ, but by special knowledge which only the intellectual elite acquire. The intellectual elite are teaching the less intellectual elite, how to be intellectually atheist. That's what's going on today. Okay, At death, the spirit, remember the spirit is, is good, everything else is evil, right? At death, the spirit escapes the body into heaven or is re reincarnated into the prison of a new body to try again to achieve knowledge perfection. So see, where would faith in Christ come in? By faith you're saved. Where does that fit into this, this paradigm? It doesn't because what this says is that by your good works and your special knowledge, then you achieve a higher level of spirituality and connection to God. It has nothing to do with God's grace. It all has to do with your performance, your achievement, your ability to get there and to know stuff. Now, it kind of makes sense because Greeks were noted in Romans 2, but Greeks especially, they were, they, they, it was all about being rational. It was all about uh, removing the irrational or removing the emotional because that got in the way of the rational. Right? That made perfect sense. I mean, there, is there room for making decisions using common sense? Is there room for that? Yes. What happens if you make decisions solely based on how you feel in the moment? That's not going to work, right? That's not going to work. And yet there are people today, kids especially, who are making decisions about their bodies on the basis of how they feel. And then what other adults, even adults that know better, are telling them about their bodies and how much better they'll feel if they just do these surgical things. And guess what happens if they do the surgical things? They don't feel better. Now, maybe some do join a club or something. But more and more, we're seeing uh, testimonials now coming out. It's, I'm surprised that the media is even letting it come out about people that have detransitioned. And they're saying it's not what you thought it would be. And, and maybe that's the voice that ultimately is going to be the one that starts counting in people's minds as opposed to those of us that never would have gone there in the first place. 
right? It's a real thing, okay? Point E, resurrection of the body cannot happen because the body is evil. Do you see the logic here? If the body is evil, then why in the world would there be a resurrection of the body? There couldn't possibly be that. Jesus is true God in spirit, but not true man in body because he is not evil. There's a, I mean, there is a logical progression here, but it starts with, the, with a faulty assumption, right? The faulty assumption is, is that only things of the spirit and the mind are good, right? Pure. And only things of the body and matter are evil. If you start with that assumption, this is where that leads you, okay? The body, this is very interesting, the body should be treated harshly since it is evil. However, debauchery and hedonism is allowed because the body is irrelevant. <laughs> so you can do whatever you want. And so that was one of the things going on in the Corinthian church. In the Corinthian church, they were being sexually immoral. They were doing all kinds of stuff, joining with the sex cults of the Greco-Roman society. They were doing all that, and they said it, does, it, it doesn't matter because really, actually, at the end of the day, the body's irrelevant. And Paul talks a lot about sexual immorality in terms of how it directly impacts a person's spiritual walk. Even though the world says, well, what I do in private is my own business, and it doesn't affect anything out here. And tons of people are buying into it, right? So point H, one's life purpose for the spirit mind to ascend to God. Therefore, any religious form, clergy, rituals, sacraments, sacred doctrines, and the scriptures were viewed as obstructions trapping the spirit and the mind. And so see, that's what we're hearing here. Get rid of clergy, get rid of church, get rid of liturgy, Get rid of the Bible. Get rid of everything because that's getting in the way of your spirituality. We hear that with the people who identify as spiritual but not religious today. The nuns, not N-U-N-S, the N-O-N-E-S. The people that put on the little religious preference thing, none. That group is growing. The percentage-wise is growing. Because they're saying religion is getting in the way of my spirituality. Now, let's look at that. Has it ever for you? Has religion ever gotten in the way of your spirituality? It has for me. It has for me. Yeah. Um, for example, how many of you, when you're saying the Lord's Prayer in the service, are thinking about your week? Come on. Yes. See, and you say, well, we ought to get rid of that Lord's Prayer because by golly, or at least let's change the words. Let's change the words of the Lord's Prayer because that would really make people focus in on the Lord's Prayer and that way you wouldn't be distracted by other thoughts. They're saying the Lord's Prayer is getting in the way of their spirituality. Now, maybe we wouldn't say that in public. I know I put you on the spot when I make you raise your hand in here. Thank goodness we're not on live stream in here. <laughs> <laughs> that would make everybody really nervous, then, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Marty. That's one reason I personally like singing the Lord's Prayer because it goes slower and it's, you're in. Oh, you like singing? It okay. seems to keep me more focused than just verbally. Yeah, I guess so. Kind of thing. I always feel like I'm at a wedding. That's a problem for me. <laughs> well, I know. I'm just saying that, that, that so the form of something. In other words, the manner in which it's delivered, that's the form, okay, can get in the way. It could. I have some pastor friends that are very into high church stuff, okay, bells and whistles, that's what we call it in a sneaky way. Um, 
it, you know, they're very particular about how you hold your hand when you're up front, and if you're carrying a cross, a processional cross, you have to hold it a certain way, and you treat um, you treat the communion elements, you call them by the right name, and not just you know the cup and the tray. You know, you know, it's very particular. Okay, there are times when that gets in the way of my spirituality because it's so focused on the particularness of something that it's hard for me to to be anything but annoyed, okay? Now, I'm just being honest with you. So I'm just saying that there are times, yeah, but but what they're talking about getting rid of is the Bible. They're talking about getting rid of clergy. They're talking about getting rid of an organ in a church. They're talking about getting rid of a church, period, because it gets in the way. Your denomination gets in the way of a lot of people. That's the appeal of non-denominational. So you could even argue that that is sort of a very soft version of this. Um, there's a movement, and it's a debate within uh, Missouri Senate, Lutheran Church Missouri Senate. Do we put the, na- the, uh, the Lutheran name on the church sign? Do we include it in the name of the church when we charter the church? And there are some churches that are seeking to uh, appeal to and reach out to, the, to, the, to people that say I'm spiritual but not religious. So they teach Lutheran doctrine. They do all the stuff that Lutherans do, but they, they, they don't name it as Lutheran because they say, well, then that person's never going to come into our church because if you say Lutheran, that's an immediate turnoff. Okay? I don't have to be one of those people. I understand where they're coming from, but at the same time, I think we could name it that way and then do a better job of explaining what that is. Okay? But look at how old I am. Come on. <laughs> I'm not a twenty-something, and and that's a different that's a different gig. Okay, so there's room for that disagreement that we have, because nobody is saying get rid of it. They are saying get rid of it. That's the difference. Okay. Any thoughts before we go on? Yeah, awesome. The way I always saw it is whenever my you know like thoughts come in, I've always heard just let all mortal the, the, the phrase is let all mortal flesh be silent. Mm-hmm. I don't. I've never even viewed it as like religion getting in the way of my spirituality. It's me not living up to my potential of listening to God, praying, letting myself come second to Him and worshiping Him. Yeah. And it's just like that paradigm shift of, oh, it's not, the problem is not with the prayer or my religion, it's me. I'm so, the one who needs to work. So, how old are you? Are you in your 50s? <laughs> I'm 21. He's 21. I, I, it, you you must be an outcast in your in your group. Okay, and the other the other thought I ha- was having is who are your parents? Are they here today? <laughs> you guys have done something. I attribute it to youth group. To youth group. Absolutely. See, that's that's the solid stuff we're talking about here, right? It because the messaging out there is one thing, but the messaging in here is something else. Good good for you. Yeah, and you're the ones that drug him here, so that's really great. Yeah, yeah, good, good for parents that are dragging their kids to church, right? Well, my parents drug me to church too, so look how good I turned out, right? Okay, so let's go to the third page because always I want to take us back in the scripture so we can understand things from a scriptural point of view, right? And so this goes back to that the bottom of uh, page two where I said there there's two kinds of people here. There's people that are intentionally, they, they know what they're doing, and they're intentionally misleading people away from, from God. And then there's the people that are swayed by that, okay? Both are in trouble. 
But there's a greater trouble to the ones who are intentionally, as Paul says, suppressing the truth. Okay, so we get into this, Romans 1, 18 to 25. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So notice what that's saying is that whether you are doing it intentionally or you are sort of a, a, a disciple of it or being swayed by it, there's you still don't have any excuse, right? It still is that God is the creator and that's part of the natural knowledge that God has placed in us. Now, natural knowledge by itself doesn't lead you to Jesus, but what it does do is it says there is a God and he made everything and you're not him. That is built into us from the very beginning. That we know in here, even if this argues with it, right? That's part of that what's called natural knowledge. And so he's saying that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven now. Well, where is it? Aren't you kind of looking around for it? Like, uh, maybe we could use some, well, thunder came the other night. And and wind came to Arlington, so maybe that was the deal. Blew down a bunch of trees. Did you guys get some wind here? Did you? We got we got a dump of rain, and then I had to clean. I still this afternoon. I have to clean up my yard. I had other things in mind I wanted to be doing. Yeah. So you asked, where is it now? Yeah, where is it now? About, okay, I think about uh, going back to the, the well and the Samaritan woman and Jesus. Yeah, yeah, Samaritan woman and the well. Got eternal water that slays the thirst. Mm-hmm. All these other people that are out there chasing and chasing for a reason. It's not satisfying for them in the long term. They're still thirsty. They're still looking for something. And yep. it's a means to an end. Yep. And then when that dries up, and they jump to whatever is the new, you're scratching the thing, but they're still thirsty. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's wrath. You just, I mean, it's not like hell and fire and brimstone, but these people are unsatisfied. I know, but don't you wish there'd be a little bit of that? Yeah. Yeah, gee whiz, you know. I mean, that's kind of what people are looking for, right? It's some cataclysmic thing that happens and that will sort of right the ship. Where people say, oh, yeah, okay, Old Testament, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, that's what we really need here, right? Fire raining down and things burning up. And, and you know, that would, that would change people, wouldn't it? It did uh, at 9-11 for about a week. Churches were filled. And then now look at it today. We don't remember that stuff. Yeah, Joshua. So you start getting into sexual immorality stuff that you know the the as the aspect of that and the and the due penalty as the Bible talks about you know um, certainly can happen. So was was that a natural thing that would have happened or is that God's wrath coming down on somebody? Don't know. We don't know, right? But we would say that there are consequences to a life that it directs you away from God, and there are consequences to a life that is with God, and there are consequences for people that are with God but do stupid things. Right? I mean, isn't that right? You know, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, but I'm still stupid, and so are you, and so we do stupid stuff, 
And there's consequences, of course. That's not the wrath of God. That's just me being dumb. Yeah, Max. You know, when I see, look back in history, uh, the wrath of God always was obvious with the fall of nations in the Bible. Oh, the fall of nations. Okay. Yeah. So I think what could be coming and what's happened in the past has been, you can look at nations that fell like the Nazis, you know, that could have been the wrath of God. Could have been. All right. Well, let's see what this says with, with respect to what the wrath of God is. Okay? It says, verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God or gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. That maybe is a little bit of the wrath of God. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. So when you, when you say I reject that the natural law inside of me that says there is a God and he is a creator, when you reject that, then you just go find another God and you create one. That's what it's saying. So idolatry then is the direct result of refusal to believe in God, that he created things and he created you and that all that he created was good, at least before sin came into the world, but it was intrinsically good. So then let's see what happens. Verse 24. Here's the wrath of God. Therefore, God gave them over. That's the wrath of God. The wrath of God is when people say, I want to live a life without God. He says, okay, see what it's like. But he does it from the posture of love. Because what is it that God continually says to us in his word that he desires of us and of the world? That we all come back to him. The prodigal son is the classic story. What, what did that youngest son say? Mm, I'm out of here. Give me my money. I wish you were dead, but you're not, so I'm leaving. And I'm going to go live my life the way I want to live it. That's exactly what's happening here. And what did the father do? Go do it. It would have killed the father to do that. And every day, what did the father do every day while the son was away? Keep looking. Is he coming? Is he coming? Is he coming? And when things finally got terrible for that son, that's when he was back in his right mind. Okay. And when he came back, what did the father do? He ran out to meet him. He, he embarrassed himself. The, the normal thing would be wait for that son to come and then hope he has some gifts for me and then bow, 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 grovel, grovel, grovel. But not that father. He threw off all his clothes and ran out and met his son and dragged him in. And then the son says, I don't want to be your son. I want to be a servant. Why did the son want to be a servant instead of his son? It wasn't because he was humble. He was still trying to control things. Ooh. He didn't want to have to live with the responsibility of the consequences of his actions and deal with the fact that he's still a son and you got responsibilities that go with that. He wasn't in it. Well, I don't want that. You want to be a servant, right? And the father said, oh, I'm not going to have any of that. You were a son before you left, and you're a son now that you're back. And now that you're back, I'm going to dress you like a son. I'm going to treat you like a son. That's the father. See, that's the father that we have. And so, see, that's a long-term view, isn't it? That's a long-term approach. And in the same way the father took that approach, we're going to take that approach too. Because that's where people are. When God gives them over to what? The sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And all because 
they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is to be praised forever. That's what happens. And rather than we're going to sit back and go, oh, bad, 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 that wasn't a good move. We're not going to do that. We're going to engage, right? Because by the grace of God, every single one of us has been there too. Yeah, Don. Do we know how long that time goes away? Yeah, he came back when he was 69. <laughs> oh, that's how old I am. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know how long does it take. I mean, think about it for all of you. When did the light finally come on? Oh, yeah, nobody's going to raise their hand on that one. So it it's sort of like, I don't know, okay? But it it would make sense that a person would be away long enough to figure out that it's not working for them if they're not with God. That's what I would say. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. So we are going to have fun with this class, aren't we? Yes, we are. Okay, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together today. Thank you for the idea that everything that we need to operate in this world and to live in this world and thrive in this world and share you with the world, everything we need, we have. We just don't exactly know how to put it together. So we hope that we can derive that out of this class, out of this discussion, so that we're not afraid of it, but certainly that we are respectful of it. Help us to keep the spirit of the people that we know and the people we don't know in mind and help us to take that long perspective of what it means to walk with somebody even through the hard times and the foolish times and the difficult times of life. Because Lord knows we've been there too. So watch over us this week, dear Lord. Keep us mindful of the love you have for us and keep us strong in your armor as we encounter the things going on in the world and that we do so with courage and with graciousness and humility. Watch over us, dear Lord, until we're together again, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.